What's up y'all and welcome to In The Wild. I am your host Rayshawn and today we have a very special treat for you because we are talking about teaching. We have an amazing College of Education and Human Development here on campus and we have a very special professor to talk to us, to talk to us a little bit about a special program that they have. So give a warm general welcome to Dr. Jessica Simpson. How's it going? Hi, it's going great. How are you? Great. Uh, thank you for your time and being here today. Before we get into the actual interview, I was curious that because you share the name with a celebrity, has that ever <laughs> caused any like confusion in your life or any mix-ups? I don't think there have been any actual mix-ups. Um, people laugh at it all the time. I <laughs> uh, say that's the gift from my husband that keeps giving. <laughs> uh, I just wish my bank account matched hers. <laughs> mm. I feel you on that one. But Diving right in, uh, what inspired the College of Education and Human Development to develop a program specifically tailored to paraprofessionals? And could you tell us a little bit about that program? Yeah, so first of all, just starting with special education in general, there's a nationwide shortage of special ed teachers and retention rates are low in the special education profession. Um, so we're working on just recruiting people that are interested in the profession, have a heart for these children that have learning disabilities or learning differences. Um, and so we started as a college thinking about different ways that we could recruit. And um, our dean, Dr. Wilson, is really invested in all the counties in the CSRA. And um, we started thinking about the paraprofessionals that are already working in special education classrooms. Some have undergraduate degrees, some don't have a college degree yet at all. And we saw that as what she likes to call low-hanging fruit. Um, and we thought, well, why don't we start working with these counties and their paraprofessionals that need license in teaching and try to provide a pathway to make that happen that's convenient for them. So that kind of leads into how our program is online, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah, that was literally my next question. Like, this is online. Have you taught online before? And what does that structure look like? Yeah, so I've taught online, I think, since I got here seven years ago. Our MED program has been online since its inception. That's our Master's of Education and Instruction. Um, and then, of course, COVID happened, and everything went online. Yeah. Um, and some of our courses stayed online, and some went back to face-to-face. -to -face. Um, but primarily, I have been online fully. I teach four to five classes a semester. Um, I've been online fully since the COVID era. <laughs> so I, I teach a lot online and I love it. I mean, it definitely has its challenges, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a good way to bridge um, this gap we have with getting teachers into the profession with licenses. And you mentioned that for this program, it's actually asynchronous. Right. Yeah. So a paraprofessional track, um, they'll come to us with 60 hours of course credit already completed. It can be completed here at AU. It could be transfer credits. Um, you know, we work really um, a, a lot with Georgia Military College and other um, tech schools around the area to get those credits transferred to AU. And so they'll come to us with those credits already completed. Um, and then they'll come to the College of Education Human Development and finish their track online. So a lot of their classes could have been face-to-face -face before or some of these other um, universities that they've attended may have online classes that they can still take before they get to us. But then once they get to us, all of the classes are online. That's really cool, especially for me being on an online program right now, getting my master's. Mm -hmm. I'm all for online. Yeah. Like it makes a difference. It sure does. Um, and 
paraprofessionals often bring like a lot of life experiences mm -hmm. to uh, especially this population of students. Uh, how do you go about, I guess, teaching and training them to, uh, I guess, be the best that they can be with, the, with these students? So I think there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Uh, you know, primarily um, they get to do their field experience work in their classrooms that they're already teaching in, which is really convenient. And so we give them a lot of information about best practices and differentiation that they're able to apply immediately every day, which, you know, student teachers in a traditional program or field experience candidates in a traditional program um, only have specific days that they go they don't have every day that they go to the school like our peer professionals do. So whatever we talk about online in class, um, whatever activities they're doing throughout the week in their online class, they actually get to see it happen immediately the next day that they go to work. So that's one thing. Um, and you know, just taking their experiences that they have in the classroom and applying that to discussions with communities online that we build in discussion boards, um, you know, AU online, is coming out with these um, communities of practice and so we want to start using that kind of method too in this course so they really get to talk to each other as a cohort model um, because they'll be traveling through all of our classes together depending on you know what semester that they start in so building those relationships with other paraprofessionals that are working through all this with them is going to be really helpful too what is that experience like for you to kind of see uh, these educators kind of come into their own and just uh, be amazing in their field. Yeah, it's really exciting to see somebody be licensed to do what they love to do and to reap all of those benefits um, of a professional educator, including making such a difference on the youth. You know, the children are our future, as Whitney said, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, when Off the top of your head, do you have any, like, uh, success stories that you could talk about from maybe the peer professional side of things or just from the special ed side of things? Yeah, so we've had um, candidates come through our, our traditional program already that have been paraprofessionals and they've, you know, made getting to campus work. You know, they'll have to leave right after school, fly over to the AU Somerville campus and come to class, go home late night and then kind of continue on with their life. So we've had that in place before. So my direct experience with those um, candidates is that, you know, they were just excited to learn more, to do more. Um, one candidate in particular, Tiara Moss, and she is featured in our video about the paraprofessional program. Um, she was a paraprofessional that, um, that came to us without an undergraduate degree and worked through and is able to get you know, her student teaching done right in the classes in her school where she already was. And I think she was in Warren County. Um, but yeah, just seeing somebody be excited to finish and to make a difference, it's, it's been fun. The world always needs great teachers. Yes. Uh, in your opinion, what sets this program apart from any other, uh, like, special education programs? I mean, I don't know of any other undergraduate special education program that's online right now in the state. I may be wrong. <laughs> so don't quote me on that. Um, UGA may come for me if they have one. But, no, um, at least in this CSRA area, um, it's the only online undergraduate program that I'm aware of. And so that's going to really just help with, um, you know, convenience. 
being able, I mean, obviously assignments have due dates and things like that that you have to keep up with with all the classes, but having more flexibility is really important in this profession um, as you're getting your license as a para. Um, because, you know, like you said, a lot of these students are non-traditional. They already have a full-time job. They already have families at home, most of them, and they're trying to balance work and life and everything else. So I think that's probably the primary difference compared to some other programs. But also, you know, our class sizes, even online, are smaller than a lot of other colleges. Um, we're recruiting to make those bigger, but because they're smaller right now, we really get to know our candidates really well. We develop good relationships with them. We're able to keep track of them after they graduate. Um, and so, you know, we, we invest in our students and we really want to help make them successful. That's awesome that you're able to make those connections with students because mm -hmm. sometimes that's like a hidden gem and students don't always feel like they can connect with their professors and get to know their professors. Uh, so having a small class size definitely will help uh, with that. Are there any uh, connections that you have within the community to support this program? So all of the local school districts are all in, in terms of getting <laughs> teachers licensed and, and in place. Um, and then, you know, the AU Literacy Center, we work with a lot and they serve students um, that have, you know, low reading scores and students that have some um, disabilities that have been identified as well. And so a lot of our students um, are able to, to visit the Literacy Center and have some impact there through some field experience hours. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and what advice would you offer to those who are currently paraprofessionals and considering to advance their careers um, and are maybe considering this program? Yeah, so I would say first thing is line up all the transcripts that you have. Their first step is to apply to AU. <laughs> to apply to AU, you need to have all of that situated um, and ready to go so you can get enrolled um, as quickly as possible and get the program started. And you'll work with an advisor in um, the advising office for AU in terms of, you know, what's there, what's not there, what you're missing, what you may need to take um, before you can actually start the education classes. Um, so, you know, that's really, really important. And then making sure you have um, a set time to spend on your studies and your reading and the assignments that you have for all the classes. That's really important. We also have a lot of scholarship money to give away. Oh, nice. So I would give some, um, I would give some big advice <laughs> in terms <laughs> of, you know, if we have money, we want to give it away. So uh, we want these candidates to look at our scholarship page. We have that through the AU College of Education Human Development page, and you can identify specific scholarships on that page that are primarily for students that have, um, that are getting a degree in special education. Oh, cool. Okay, now transitioning a little bit. I kind of forewarned you, but I'm going <laughs> to play a little fun game. Um, I'm calling it teacher trivia because I love alliteration. And I'm just a sucker for it, but it's not necessarily <laughs> trivia. But I wanted to get your impression of some famous teachers that uh, we've had from some well-known movies and TV shows. And so if you could give me something that you really like about them and maybe would recommend to like a future teacher and then something that you wouldn't recommend until <laughs> your f the future teacher's like, hey, this part probably not so much. So getting started, um, we all know this person, love her, Miss Frizzle from The Magic School Bus. My kids love that show. <laughs> so that helps, yeah. What I love about her is how exciting she makes learning. 
Um, you know, I mean, we obviously aren't going to take a school bus into the digestive system here. <laughs> However, <laughs> um, you know, just that, that she plans in, in that kind of way, I think is really exciting. Um, I don't know that there's anything I don't love about her. I would say sometimes she seems frazzled, <laughs> you yeah. know, there's a lot going on. Um, and I think that probably speaks true to a lot of teachers. We have our frazzled moments. Oh, that's nice. Uh, second up is Ms. Nobury from Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah, that movie. <laughs> uh, no, I'm glad she's so excited about math. You know, we need good math teachers. That's another area that, um, that our districts are really looking for, um, you know, and encouraging students to be a part of those clubs like she did with Katie's Good. Uh, what I don't love, probably that she's bringing some of her struggles with her home life into the school and into the classroom. Kind of got to check those in your yeah. car before you get out in the parking lot. <laughs> gotcha. Um, what about Sister Mary Clearance from Sister Act? Man. <laughs> <laughs> Which Sister Act? One, two, or three? There's so many, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, when she's teaching, though, um, you know how invested she got into her students. I mean, you know, reaching out to the families, building those connections with the families so they could, you know, get the students to travel and do those those different things when they were singing in the choir. Um, you know, again, she has, you know, some things that happened prior to her nunhood <laughs> that, <laughs> that maybe, um, you know, obviously wouldn't be a big impact in, in a public school, but, you know. Yep. And lastly, Miss Honey from Matilda. I'm going to be really honest here. Okay. I don't remember. <laughs> no. My, my daughter is, um, is big into reading and lots of books. I don't have the Matilda book. Okay. I get it. Um, remind me about. So, okay, so I'll answer this for you. One thing that I really liked about Miss Honey was that she was able to make that personal connection that you mentioned with her mm. students. And she was able to notice that Matilda was different from all the other students in her class and was able to make Matilda feel like she had a mom mm -hmm. when her home life was not the best. Um, so I don't know what I wouldn't recommend and I'm not a certified uh, teacher, so I can't make any recommendations at all. But um, uh, yeah, I think she she probably stood out for just being able to notice that something was going on yeah. with her home life and this is a special student and she's not gonna let her slip through the cracks. Yeah, I think our literacy professor is gonna come for me because I couldn't remember. I kind of froze on this honey. Um, but yeah, I will t add something onto that though. As a teacher, being able to identify those differences and highlight them as um, positives and not as negatives and able to, as a teacher, you need to be able to um, make those a beneficial part of your students learning rather than a detriment. Mm. And I think that can be really, really important. And if I remember right, she did that really well. Uh, final thoughts or final recommendations for anyone who wants to learn more about the paraprofessionals program? So we have a website um, on our BSED special education programs. There's one for a traditional track a link, and then there's another link for um, the paraprofessional track. Um, so start there, look at what, um, you know, the classes would be that you have left. Um, all, anybody interested is obviously welcome to email me. Um, set up meetings via Teams. If you want to do virtual, I can come to campus and meet here. Um, you know, 
we're just excited to get people into this program. We also worked um, really a lot with Pamplin College to develop, um, well not to develop, they already had the classes, but to um, identify classes that were online that our students would be able to take in their content area specializations. Um, so not only are our College of Education SPED classes going to be online, but so are those content area classes from Pamplin. Oh nice. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Simpson, for being here, and I am super excited to see where the program grows to. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. We're a bridge for our students to connect to campus-wide resources. We are also here to help you strengthen your self-advocacy skills, learn how to connect to faculty, and build a foundation of support in your academic program so you can forge and follow your own pathway. Remember, TDS has a lot more to offer than extra time on exams or making sure you have accessible textbooks and class materials. Our mission is to empower students with disabilities and to ensure every student has equal access to an education in all aspects of life here at Augusta University. If you have any questions, please contact us at tds.augusta.edu or 706-737-1469 or even stop into the office to see us. We're located on the ground floor of Galloway Hall on the Somerville campus. I'd love to see you there soon. Welcome back y'all to In the Wild, and we are continuing our conversation about the College of Education and Human Development. And we have another professor joining us to talk a little bit about how the college is going to prepare the educators for the next generation. And she is definitely an expert. So give a warm welcome to Dr. Stacy Pettit. How's it going? Thanks for having me, it's going well. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, super excited to have you. Uh, diving right in, what are some of the just aspects of COEHD, uh, like, and how they prepare teachers for becoming future educators? Yeah, I think one of the strongest things we have going for us is our field experience, the way that that's set up. It's early, it's ongoing, it's, there's not sitting around observing for years at a time. Mm. Once they're in, admitted into our program as juniors and seniors, they're teaching lessons, so um, they do a certain amount of hours and they do projects related to their coursework in the schools and they have to have diverse placements. They're in rural, urban, suburban, so they're not, it's definitely not a new thing to them when they go out there and get their own classroom. They have spent hours in front of a classroom and preparing lessons and that sort of thing. Okay, so uh, going a little bit further into the field work, can you talk a little bit more how that field work experience is really different because I've had experience in like high school where student teacher may talk a little, but most of them didn't really talk at all right. and just kind of observe. So how does this program really prepare them? There are some observation hours earlier, like as freshmen and sophomores when they're taken, we call them the foundation courses. So um, they get that, but once they're admitted to the program, you know, we tell them their expectations are, you're not sitting down, you're up in front of the class, even at the beginning, you know, you can go over homework and you can pass things out and, you know, there's active ways to be involved even before you teach. But, you know, the requirement is a minimum of three days of actual lessons teaching sequentially. So that's going to put them right there and get the full, full experience. And Dr. Simpson was talking a little bit about the connection with the a lot of counties in the CSRA, so our teachers are everywhere. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Right, yeah. Um, 
we have so many partnerships and community partnerships. We have what's called the um, PSN, the Professional Partnership School Network. So we have identified schools that have kind of applied saying we'd be happy to partner with you. Do you need us? So we have those designated schools and each of those have building coordinators in them. That's kind of like our liaison between the university. Um, and we've even had professional development schools, which is a deeper partnership where the classes are on site. I've taught some of those at some local middle schools. So that's another way where it's not just hours of getting to know the students and learning what the teacher does. If they're already in those classrooms from week one, then by the time we have these designated field experience weeks where we stop teaching and let them do their hours, they've already been in that classroom for about six weeks. So they are used to the routines and they can jump right in that way. So yeah, the schools around here are great. You know, we use Richmond County, Burke County, Lincoln County, Columbia County. So um, students have different preferences on where they want to end up. A lot of times that's where they're from. So we want to work with them and put them back into the schools that made them who they are. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, teachers, as you would know, play such a big role in the community. Right, because it goes well beyond just like academics, mm -hmm. but you know, just holistically caring for students. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what resources and techniques you have in kind of preparing students to be more mindful about things outside of academics and taking care of students? Absolutely. We want to teach the whole child. And we say, you know, you teach students first, content second, particularly in middle grades. It's kind of that balance. Sometimes in elementary, <laughs> you want to teach the kids, the high schools teach the subject area. But um, and we have so many partnerships with um, the Literacy Center at the Hub for Community Innovation. So we partner with them and students can do tutoring there. The elementary ed program has classes on site there. Um, and uh, there's a project going on with one of my colleagues, Dr. Kim Barker, it's called CLIMB. And um, I have to remember what all it stands for, but it's the it's multi-sensory based experience. And so they work with a high needs elementary school and partner with OT interns. So oh, wow. there's a lot of like really innovative partnerships. Um, also in the College of Education, we have kinesiology, you know, which is a very popular major. And so um, Dr. Christine Craddock and Brittany Pinkerton, they have collaborated to do an activity program at the Literacy Center. So doing research that combines activity with literacy and learning. I don't even remember what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that goes uh, kind of right on to it because uh, teachers should be caring oh, holistically how, for... Oh, for the whole child. Yeah. Yes. Um, just getting them in the community and showing them those needs. And there's a lot of marginalized populations. I mean, a particular one I research on is um, youth from foster care. So I recently got a grant from Georgia State where we partnered and we're looking at how can we get youth from foster care to um, further their post-secondary education. And I had opportunities for my students to be graduate assistants and that and that sort of thing. So um, they're learning about the diverse needs and the identities of for me, it's young adolescents, but all children are very different these days than they used to be. So we try to come from a culturally responsive framework through all our courses. And that's kind of one thing that we're united on that I think helps prepare. You know, even if you might be a little removed, it's been a long time since you've been to school and <laughs> we're teaching them to, you know, come from that lens of who are the students and what are their individual needs. So. Yeah, I think that's definitely needed in today's world where so many different things keep, you know, coming up. Right. Um, another thought uh, when it comes to teaching is being able to work with the students' parents and their families. Yes. So what does that look like in terms of training for your teacher candidates? 
We would definitely have modules devoted to that sort of thing. Just today I taught some slides on how to hold a parent conference. So, you know, to sandwich it in, positive at the beginning, positive <laughs> at the end. But I think it goes back to those field experiences. Again, as you can tell them all you want about this is what you should do, but mm -hmm. until they're doing it and by having, we also have a year long student teaching. So um, even though full time, one semester they're student teaching, the semester prior they're in that same building and they do a 10 day experience before school starts. So they see how school year begins, even if they don't student teach till the spring. And so that creates more of a trust with their mentor. Once they're there all year, they're gonna know the students and be invited into those parent teacher conferences and the um, IEP meetings and things like that. So they'll have practice. So it won't be so intimidating when they're out there with their own students. Yeah, before um, coming back to Augusta University to get mm. in this role, uh, I worked previously at a high school. Oh, okay. And I think one of the most, or when I think about that time, some of my most interesting stories come from working with their families. Yes. At, like as a unit instead of just, you know, the student themselves. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they are, the student and the parents can be very similar, but then sometimes they are very <laughs> different. And you're like, oh, wow. Uh, it's interesting just working with, you know, you have your helicopter parents yes. <laughs> and then um, you have what we call submarine parents because uh -huh. um, I came up with like a submarine parent for a mom where it's like she's always there, but if you don't really need her, she's not going to you know pop yeah, up, right? Yeah. But then you have those helicopter parents mm -hmm. that are like, hey, my freshman wants to know how to apply to college. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> Hold off. Yeah. They don't need to take the SAT yet. <laughs> I feel like those questions are really related with meeting the whole child's needs and yeah. the family and community. Those go together. So you need to, you know, we encourage them to be active in their lives if they can. Go to their games, go to their music concerts. That's that's where you'll run into their parents more on a natural level, you know, because some parents aren't don't feel comfortable being in the school setting if they didn't have positive experiences as a student themselves. So, um extracurricular activities are important too just for students themselves to succeed. Can you talk about like a particularly inspiring moment when uh, a teacher candidate kind of overcame like a, or had a breakthrough like in the yeah, classroom? Yeah. Um, you know my classroom observations are so one shot you know okay. so I don't know about that as much as just holistically. I mean, I've had students who just really succeeded. I had the rookie teacher of the year in Columbia County come from my program and mm -hmm. she was prior military. So in a way that's kind of coming up over a new boundary, going into a new career field. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, they, they come back and they'll journal and reflect to me about those after field experience that those light bulb moments and, oh, wow, now I know why I've put in all this work and, you know, it was worth it because seeing a child, who didn't understand something, come to enjoy math or whatever, for example, is, really makes it worth it. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about any other community partnerships or outreach that you're able to provide? Yeah, um, we have the Impacting Student Learning Conference is something we put on every year. It's been going on for, I think, 26 years now. Oh, wow. And that helps um, novice teachers, too, in the area, like the induction level, they call them in the first three years. They attend and get good professional learning, and we require students to attend that. So it really kind of brings that together with the schools and, and the students. Um, we have Kids University where our students can have the opportunity to be like counselors and camp counselor type of thing for the oh, wow. kids that come on campus. We've had um, cyber clubs, you know, gen cyber camps here where my students have been the counselors for that. Um, 
like various partnerships. We talked about the climb with the occupational therapists. Um, and then I just think the, the research that our faculty is involved in. I think our students are really lucky that unlike some larger universities, they get taught by faculty. You know, it's pretty small class sizes and they are, don't have a TA or something that is doing the lesson. So we'll bring our research into the classroom and always tell them, you know, you can be involved if you want through CURS, you know, the Center for Undergraduate Research and Scholarship. We like to pull students in that way. So, and we have study broad programs that obviously helps prepare for the diversity that they're going to encounter with the students. So. Yeah, so it sounds like y'all have a lot going on at all <laughs> <Yes>. times, <laughs> uh, which is really cool. But uh, we played a fun game with Dr. Simpson earlier, and so now it's time. your turn <laughs> okay. uh, for a little for a little fun. I'm calling it Teacher Roulette, where I'm just going to throw some very silly, not serious, situations yeah. at you, and I just want to kind of pick your brain, just as a teacher, what uh, how you would handle it. Yes. So, first up, uh, you suddenly switch places with a teacher from a different era. Let's say the Renaissance era. Uh, what would you teach your students about the modern world? Wow. Oh, so I'm teaching to that era about now. Yeah, what, what, what would be one of the first things you teach them? Technology, I guess. <laughs> we hadn't even talked about that yet, but that's oh, yeah. another. I know um, you had said maybe we'd talk about how to prepare students with coming to schools that don't have a lot of resources yeah. and that sort of thing. So I'm constantly trying to embed technology into my classes, and I never present some program that's expensive. It's always, this is a free resource. This is a free resource because we're teachers <laughs> yeah. and we're not going to be paying for it ourselves. I mean, actually some do, but you know, you can't too much, but um, wow. So yeah, like say, hey, there's artificial intelligence now that could write <laughs> papers for you. I mean, we are reaching whole new levels. Like we thought we were worried when there, the internet existed, but <laughs> it, we've come so far since then. So yeah. Yeah, it's always strange to me because I remember uh, when I was in high school, like cell phones were banned. Like, right. you know, those were evil devices, like no technology was allowed at all in schools. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we do have, you know, uh, schools that are embracing technology and y'all are training teachers on how to use that technology exactly. now. So that's it's really like, cool. You can't just ban AI. Students are going to use it. <laughs> yeah. So how, how can you create assignments that are AI proof? <laughs> it's the, kind of the new challenge. And I um, guess I could go back to the partnerships too. One thing I hadn't mentioned is we're one of the three colleges that have a program in the new AU online. So one challenge in teaching these days is just even recruiting and retaining teachers. And so being able to get those advanced degrees, which helps them get a little bit higher salary. And um, so that's been a really popular program that just launched this fall. I'm sure that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll have to have AU online really yes. soon. But second scenario. Uh, your class decides to host an impromptu talent show in the middle of a lesson. <laughs> what is a hidden talent that you would perform? What would be my hidden talent? When I was in high school and I had to do a speech, I did it on stretching. <laughs> so I've been a runner <laughs> since I was like three, so okay. I would probably show them how flexible I am even as a 45-year-old with arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any singing or anything fancy like that. Okay. That, I mean, look, stretching works. <laughs> Uh, next up, you and your school principal switch roles for a day at your high school alma mater. <laughs> what would be your first order of business Ooh, as Panthers. principal of your alma mater? <laughs> I think I would try to institute some kind of program that highlights students who don't normally get exposure. Um, that's something mm. I think looking back as a teacher, 
I kind of critique myself. I think, you know, there's those top learners, you know, I've graduated high in my class. Like, you know, there's all different opportunities, scholar, athlete, all that kind of stuff. But what if you're not an athlete? You're not the top student, you know, the students that might fall through the cracks. Like, what are ways? And they do a good job these days. You know, there's drama, there's band, there's all different clubs and organizations. But, you know, think about putting in place some way to highlight students that might not otherwise be highlighted. I like that. Next up, this is fun. A spaceship full of curious extraterrestrial beings lands <laughs> in the schoolyard and they want a guided tour of Earth. What would be the first thing you teach them before giving them that tour Ooh. about Earth? Wow, that is a, you said no gotcha questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a gotcha. I mean, maybe what a cell phone is so they can understand these boxes that everybody's carrying around and staring at. Um, mm, but I don't solid. know if that's too similar to my first one about what I would teach in the Renaissance era, but I'm just trying to put myself from their lens coming in. That would probably be what was maybe most curious to them is why are the people not talking to each other? Why are they all staring at this little screen? So maybe giving them some background on that. Like, please don't be alarmed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and last up, your students begin speaking in an entirely made-up language, making it challenging to communicate. How would you convince them to teach it to you? Ooh, I love linguistic things. So <laughs> I taught ESOL for a while. So, um, well, you know, you got to give positive reinforcement. So if, if someone, if I'm like, what, what? And someone taught me a word, I would say, thank you and <laughs> praise them for doing the right thing until it kind of caught on, I guess. Um, I tried to join their circles, do something relevant to connect with them. So okay. maybe use candy. <laughs> That's a whole teacher Look, trick. <laughs> that, I mean, that works. That works. Uh, I mean... Doesn't promote health and wellness, though, so, you know, <laughs> Look, forgive me. <laughs> kids and adults love candy, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and I guess kind of just wrapping up here, because teaching in 2023 does look a lot different mm -hmm. than it was even when I was in, like, high school 10 years ago. Right. Um, and you kind of alluded to this earlier where, you know, teachers are going into school systems that have limited resources. Mm -hmm. uh, right now we are living in a time where laws are kind of changing and, mm -hmm. you know, can make them having to think differently about how to go about teaching things. Right. Uh, so how do you just, in general, kind of get them having that right mindset of like, hey, you're going into a field that is just always changing. Evolving. and yeah. Yeah, that, especially the political climate, that's a tough one. I know can't go say too many things about it, but I, I just tell them we need you so much. Like, don't let it get you down. Like, we need diversity. We need diverse teachers that look like the students in their classrooms, that identify like the students in their classrooms. And so don't lose heart. You know, things change. You know, votes change. Go vote. And um, But try not to give up because it, the amount of teachers that we lose in those first induction, first three years, is just really disheartening. And then that's not what's best for the students if they are constantly having new teachers you know that you get better as you go along you know once you hit that sweet spot around you know, like you're 10 or so you know you're going to be a more effective teacher if you haven't given up for anything so I just try to tell them they're prepared and they're the experts to be confident uh, kind of goes along with that with the family um, 
conferences. And I remember when I was fresh, 22 year old coming out, parents would ask me about raising their kids. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm not even married. I can't. And then I had to take a step back and be like, well, actually I was trained. I do know about, you know, what are the best needs of young adolescents and for whatever age group it might be. So they need to be confident in their training. AU has trained them well and they have the tools they need and they're making a difference. It might not always be the most money. You could go do something else, but, um, you're really gonna feel good about what you do when you stay in the classroom. So. Yeah, I think of my time, uh, just like being in elementary school, like I had some great teachers, mm -hmm. uh, great relationships with those teachers, and kind of like what you mentioned, being able to, because I was able to keep my third grade teacher into fourth grade, oh, like she was able yeah. to move up with us. Yes. And like moments like that where like, oh, we get to have an extra year with you yeah. know this amazing teacher, like it definitely, motivated me as a student to like continue doing my best because I knew that we were going to get the best out of Very our teacher much. that day and we had a and she was probably one of my favorites uh that I've ever had so shout out to Mrs. Parrish oh yeah we, I try to help them remember their why like we do a lot of reflection on remember when you were a student who was your favorite teacher do you want to be like that or who was did not make you feel good about being in their mm. classroom and let's not be that student you know and constantly put themselves in those shoes uh any final thoughts about sending off teachers into 2023. Just respect teachers. Everyone needs to give respect to teachers. Just because you went to school doesn't mean you know how to teach better than them. I mean, obviously they're human. They make mistakes like everyone else, but in general, they're a certified teacher. They learned what they need to know and they really want what's best for your students to so try to work with them and um, support them just like you would the military, the police, or any other um, workers out there who need our support. So. Yeah, because everybody needs a little bit of grace and yeah. teachers are doing so much work. Exactly. <laughs> well, Dr. Pettit, thank you so much for being here and inspiring us. Everybody that is watching this, go thank a teacher today. Do something nice for a teacher today um, and check out the College of Education and Human Development because obviously they're doing some really amazing things. Thank you.